0: This is Meatless, a podcast about eating. I'm Alicia Kennedy, a food and drink writer. I'll be having conversations with chefs, writers, and more about how their personal and political beliefs determine whether or not they eat meat. The show will ask the question, how do identity, culture, economics, and history affect a diet? In this episode, I talked to food scientist, Dr. Cheryl Mitchell, the person who developed Rice Dream and the Elmhurst milked line of nut, grain and seed milks. We discussed how she came to focus on vegan milks, the hydro release process she created, and why we need to diversify protein sources in order to keep feeding the human population. Uh, thank you, Dr. Cheryl Mitchell, for being on Meatless with me um, and taking the time out of your day. No problem. Thank you, Alicia. Uh, can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate? <laughs> That's, I, I think you're the first
1: one that asked me that, that question. In particular. <laughs> um, I grew up in New Jersey, and uh, my father was also uh, a food scientist working for General Foods, and so uh, many people know him because he's the inventor of Pop Rocks. Wow. And, uh, but also he did the metaphor for cool and uh, cool whip and uh, cool and creamy, and what makes tang tang <laughs> uh, But, you know, so he was a food scientist, but I grew up. He had quite a large um, uh, uh, garden, let's call it. I, I would say it's a, a mini farm, actually. So we raised all our own vegetables, and um he was a big flower person too. Uh, and I think, Growing up, uh, having all always fresh vegetables and understanding uh, the importance of, and he did a lot of the cooking too. So growing up in the kitchen with him, uh, every part, uh, I think that's what um, stunned me the most, was every part of the uh, vegetables, once they've been cleaned and and starting in the cooking process, he used in the the cooking. So if you cooked some vegetables and you steamed them, uh, the steamed water would be used in another part of the the preparation. Mm-hmm. So nothing was wasted, and he would always comment about uh, the minerals and the values in every part of the uh, raw material that we were using. That there was should be nothing that uh, should be thrown away, and certainly there wasn't. Um, I'm the youngest of seven children. <laughs> And uh, so um, food was very precious always. And I think that's uh, impacted me the, the, the most. And the second thing was um, at, later in my life, I, I also worked for General Foods for a while. So I had the pleasure of working with my father from time to time. And um, I w- became aware of taking things from benchtop. It's one thing to make fudge, let's say, on benchtop. But think about if you had to make that same fudge at 10,000 pounds at a time, uh, as it would be in a commercial operation to distribute food worldwide uh, and to stabilize the food. So it became, became a different question. And so that's where I leaned most of my career, as it turned out, with regards to how to commercialize and make available um, highly nutritious uh, foods uh, without, you know, using chemicals or additives or anything else because it just wasn't necessary. We could do this by the process uh, and it was just a matter of figuring out how.
0: Right, right. And so you, you come from, you know, your father being the inventor of these, these foods that are kind of, you know, they're, they're not, they're definitely not. No, 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 we we yeah. had many discussions about that. One. <laughs> um, so why did you decide to focus on plant-based milks in your career? Um, it,
1: you know, it, it started out, um, actually my PhD is in chemistry and I actually, I was uh, developing a uh, carcinostatic, um, uh, drugs, basically drugs that would stop cancer. And so it was more related and was interested in the carbohydrates and how that works and everything. So I was, uh, you know, a pretty strong medical and um, focus on the metabolism of uh, carbohydrates and foods in general.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, in figuring out how our body handles them, <clears throat> I also thought about uh, how we would uh, process them. Uh, very similar to how the body uh, needed to process them and how it worked to process the foods. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. It's just uh, after the experience with Imagine Foods and, and uh, basically uh, Robert was so focused at that time on Um, getting the nutrition but getting a good quality food material and that's where I really learned about the natural foods and has a very healthy respect for the industry that was just really starting up at that time and uh, so I just uh, really focused on anything I did uh, focused on maximizing uh, nutrition and getting it in a form that could be um, distributed worldwide. Mm
0: How did you come to work with Imagine Foods and on the Rice Dream product? And how, what was the inspiration for Rice Dream? Okay.
1: Um, actually, uh, I started working on the, the Rice Dream because of a uh, meeting with uh, Imagine Foods and Robert N- uh, Nissenbaum and uh, Kenny uh, Becker, who were partners at the time. Uh, Robert was the one that had the restaurant. He was making the Amazaki, but knew that he couldn't make large quantities of it, uh, which he really wanted to distribute and stabilize it. Uh, He actually went to a company called Chico San. You might remember Chico San from the rice cakes.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. Well, they were in the process of uh, being sold, but they were the first ones actually to try to make rice syrup in this country. And Robert had gone to them to see if they would make the Amazaki, which he knew that they were going through the Amazaki to make the rice syrup. Um, they re- were struggling so much with making the rice syrup from the Amazaki that they, they said uh, they contacted us, uh, and uh, meaning uh, myself and my husband, and said, can you do this? And, and at that time, uh, I said, "Yeah, let let me see what you're doing, and uh, I'm sure we can uh, improve this and com- make it more commercialized." And that's really what started the the whole process. Um, they didn't want to make it there. We started uh, set up our facility to uh, make it for them. Um, Chico Sam was then bought by Heinz. Heinz didn't want anything to do with <laughs> with the rice syrup or the rice milk. I'm sure they regret that decision right now, but uh, that was, um, they're thinking at the, and at the time they were trying to deal with the, the, the marketing. And of course there was a surge of all of a sudden, even though uh, the rice cakes had been out there for 10 years, all of a sudden the consumers thought, oh, this is the greatest thing since, you know, sliced bread. And the, the, Uh, rice cake market started taking off. So they didn't want to have anything to do with the rice milk. They didn't understand uh, the rice syrup. They didn't understand the rice milk, and they didn't understand what Robert was trying to accomplish. And uh, so that left Robert and I and uh, my first company, California Natural Products, to figure out how we were going to uh, make the product and uh, package it aseptically. And uh, so we just took on those challenges and move forward. So that's how we uh, came into play. Um, The difficulty was that Robert had been making a very traditional Amazaki. Mm -hmm. And the Mm -hmm. traditional Amazaki has all the uh, fiber and pulp. And he knew that for this market, we really needed to um, start with brown rice was his goal and maximizing the nutrient value. The problem was in the processing and trying to put it into an uh, a, an aseptic container uh, requires uh, a lot of instantaneous heat. So you're bringing up to high temperatures very quickly and also cooling it very fast. Well, those type of heat exchangers would be plugged very quickly by the, the fiber and so we pulled out the the fiber, but with the pulling out of the fiber, we also realized the protein was going out with the fiber. Um, so, and there wasn't anything we could do with about that at the time. Uh, so we went that route. We also went to using white rice because, uh, we couldn't handle the, or stabilize the oils, the natural oils in the brown rice. And so the product Would oxidize very quickly. So we got rid of the, started using the white rice and adding the safflower oil uh, to make uh, an emulsion. And then we had to use uh, the various gums and stabilizers to keep everything in suspension. Um, It was a product that served its purpose, meaning that people and consumers became aware for the first time. That there could be something other than soy milk that we could have rice milk uh, for people having allergies, and that's we promoted it uh, to people that uh, were looking for something that was hypoallergenic. Uh, and the the rice milk worked very very well and uh, worked for many many people. So uh, for the next twenty years, in fact, uh, the patents that I uh, wrote for those and um, uh, got for those that development uh, were in use and uh, for the next 20 years um, just on the rice milk, but that's where I deviated uh, because knowing what I had to do to make the uh, rice stream work, uh, including adding a lot of calcium carbonate to, to make it so it wasn't translucent, that it was more opaque, Um, I, I, it was just wrong Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I I knew that I could do better given a little bit more time. So after spending the time with my first company, California natural products, I sold my half and I took my research team and I said, look, we're just, I, and I, I used all my money and I said, we are going to figure out how to maximize the nutritional value of every grain, nut and seed we can get our hands on. And we're going to figure out how to do it in a uh, very mechanical approach way. I said, this this business about grinding to a flour or grinding to a paste, which has been going on for the last 2,000 years, is not the right approach. And uh, starting with that premise and the premise of getting everything in from the raw material, all the nutrients in, um, that's what we started working on and it was a mechanical process and a, and a huge change in, in how we first started working with raw materials and that became the hydro release process.
0: Right. And, and right. can you explain how that allows for nut and grain milks without added gums and thickeners, which are, are so prevalent in most, most milks. Right. And they're
1: prevalent in most milks because that's, um, it's mostly water. They can't get enough of the, the grain nut or seed in there um, without fouling the heat exchangers or processors. So that's why they started using less and less of the raw material and more stabilizers and gums to make it seem like there was a lot of the raw material in there. Um, our process is different because with the hydro release, we are taking... And um, I liken it to power washing so that you're separating each of the uh, the uh, natural compositions in the raw material. So if we start with the raw material. this is not um, this, these are viable grains, nuts, and seeds. Um, and there when you use this power washing, you're kind of sloughing off uh, just like layer at a time the um par- the composition, the carbohydrates, the oils are released, the n- and the natural micronutrients, which are really critical. This is your lecithins, your vitamins, your minerals, all of these once released, start to recombine in a different way. And the most important one at separation is also the um proteins from the fiber. And we realize that. We needed to keep the fibers very long because in making a milk type product, you do want to remove the fibers, which by the way we we do utilize those those fibers and other other um ingredients, so all the ingredients that everything that comes in is used um so there's no waste mm-hmm. um, but the 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 rest of it the the proteins that are liberated, well, oh my gosh, they start to behave really uniquely and that that was um, very important for us, because first of all, they become I, I call them soft proteins. Once liberated from the fiber, instead of being an aggregate and a kind of a hard, chewy aggregate, they become very, very soft. um they hydrate very well, and they kind of float on their own. They you know, you don't need to keep them in suspension. They kind of prefer to be in a suspension <laughs> anyway. And especially when you've got the natural oils have also been released along with the natural lecithins. This gets back to the simpler better. If you're allowing the raw material has pretty much all these constituents in it, but nobody was thinking in terms of releasing them so they can do their job that they would normally do. And And for the last 50 years in food science, all we've been doing is Really um, making a lot of putting a lot of people in business, making a lot of ingredients. When, in fact, all we had to do was take one of the basic ingredients and keep everything there, but liberate them so that they would have more functionality. And that's what makes the, the milk products um, and the Elmhurst milk products so special because um, we've done that in these milks and you can taste it. The 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 creaminess and this is um, the unsweetened varieties only have two ingredients the power of two just water and the raw material and when you taste it you're going to
0: sit there and say oh my gosh it didn't it doesn't really need anything else mm-hmm. and you originally called the hydro release process a uh, cold milking um, which I think is interesting uh, what what is the okay. origin of that that phrase
1: yeah well you know here we are trying to Market the product, and and at first, I think everybody said, "Well, it's a a cold." I think they used the term milking, and they use the term milling. And I kept on saying, "No, no, 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 no. This is <laughs> a, a milling process. So we got to get that 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 out." Um, and but you hit on a very important point when you are trying to educate the consumers as to what this technology is. um, that's where we came up and he said, well, you've got to come up with a name. And, and I said, well, it's, it's kind of like, you know, power washing. And, and that's where we started on coming up with a name like hydro release, water mm-hmm. release. We're using water to release all the different components of the uh, grains, nuts and seeds. And in that liberation process, uh, we have a totally different material. Uh, here's the the thing, too. The the fact that the the proteins are released in this way is what makes them work and function so much different. So you don't need the, um, uh, you know, you you can do the same function as, say, a lot of the things in dairy milk. Mm -hmm. We haven't even touched touched on that all the week. We're, we're, research wise we're we're getting there because we can com- ferment them to make yogurts to make cheeses to do everything because our proteins are definitely released and so they automatically ferment just as the same way milk does the cream that we're making we're, we're making uh, a hemp cream and a peanut cream that is is actually cream mm-hmm. that's uh, you know, these these creamers that are out there are just formulated uh, type of products where our product is actually the cream. No, no different than dairy milk has dairy cream. Right. Okay. And what that is when you take the milk from the cow and, and then put it through a creamery separator. Well, th- we do the exact same thing. After everything's released, there's Certain soluble proteins that like to go with the with the uh, the fat part, and sure enough, we put it through the uh, creamery separator, and voila, you have an actual cream. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, it, oh, it is. I, you know, I, I can't tell you. <laughs> you. know, this is so exciting because of the, of the similarities, right, 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 to, to, to the dairy market.
0: Right, and so the dairy lobby doesn't want these products to be called milk, and I'm sure they wouldn't want them to be called cream either. Um, what is your response to that that dairy lobby movement around not calling plant based milks milk?
1: Okay, and and uh, you know even with a uh, uh, Gottlieb's uh, address on the on the issue and everything, in, in a way he's got a point with regards to nutrition. Um, if um, the Dairy milk has been the gold standard uh, because of the uh, protein content, the quality of the protein in the dairy milk. However, as the consumers have trended and necessarily trended to a plant-forward uh, situation and, and consume, you know, uh, consumer trend uh, of uh, the flexitarians and the um, you know, just flip plant forward in general, there's, it's for different reasons, health, ethical and mm-hmm. environmental reasons. But the reality is we have to trend that way, um, with the growing population in mm-hmm. particular, while we're very protein positive now, uh, uh the nutrition as time goes on. And by 2030, 2040, we have a serious situation with regards to a, um, Perspective uh, protein deficiency. So mm-hmm. we have to look at other sources. And this is an evolution. So it's not a revolution, as mm-hmm. I keep on pointing out to everybody. This isn't going to happen overnight. This is an evolution where we have to really embrace uh, the diversity of our raw materials, whether it's, it's dairy or whether it's from plants. Um, we're Basically, broadening our Epicurean lifestyle to include some very unique new ingredients and products that can diversify our culinary outlook, and that is where that's important. That's where we're going uh, right now, and that's what this product has done. Now, in the past, with when you refer to it, milk that was a, a good transitional. To allow the consumers to realize, in fact, there's some funny stories about that, because after the rice milk, uh, we had gone out there and asked people and saying, well, do you know what oat milk is? Or do you know what? Uh, and these things hadn't been developed yet. We had, but uh, a lot of the other things, oat milk or and then we started throwing in, well, what about pecan milk or or pistachio? Milk? Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what that is. And they could describe it exactly. There, right? <laughs> They've never seen it before, but they understood using the term milk that this was a product that looked like milk that could function uh, at least over cereal. And and really, earlier on, 70% of the usage of even rice milk was over cereal, so that people were just looking for a replacement. What we've done is really a quantum leap. This is a nutritive plant milk. This is different from. The other earlier milks that I would call non-nutritive, when you have a low calorie, 30, 60, this is non-nutritive milk. Ours is a nutritive plant milk. It is a new category. And even with the the two ingredients, but we put a lot of nuts, um, sometimes people ask, well, you know, it's expensive. Well, really, on a nut-per-nut basis, ours is much cheaper because we're giving you a lot more nutrition For your dollar, right, right, right. And and as the time goes on, um, it's it's going to be about that the biggest bang for your nutritional buck.
0: Absolutely. And someone asked me they're about to like wean their child uh, off of breast milk. Is plant based milk safe for babies? Is it giving them as much nutrition as a dairy milk would?
1: That's a good question. At, at this point, um, the, the nutrition of um, both non-dairies and plant-based or any other, even soy milk, uh, there's a lot of fortification. We mm-hmm. chose not to fortify um, our products um, to because we felt the consumers actually were doing a, a better job diversifying. They know, and you're not going to get all the nutrition when the, when we're talking about um, vitamin A or D. Those are very special vitamins. Some of them are natural and different different raw materials. Um, but usually people are diversifying what they're uh, consuming to get a, a a nice diversity. They're not depending on getting all their calcium from just the, the milk. The calcium comes from a lot of different food products that they they also eat. So it becomes questionable as to um whether we should have uh, fortified or not, I'm I'm willing to give them something simpler and let them make the decision uh, of what they would like to fortify and what they would like to use in their um, uh, diversity of foods that they're consuming.
0: Right, right, right. And you talked a bit about um, the need in the future to diversify protein sources and also that at Elmhurst, you're you're not wasting anything. Um There is often discussion around whether plant-based milks are sustainable in terms of like land, water, and energy usage. Um, What is your perspective on that? And what does Elmhurst specifically do to to combat that?
1: Oh yeah, that's oh thank you for that question. (laughs) Oh, you know, basically there's there's a term I keep on using and throwing out here to the marketing folks. I said, look, um, sustainability is all about diversity, and we're talking about plant diversity. Mm -hmm. So imagine for the last 50 years, yeah, you have milk in your refrigerator, okay, because that was your go-to protein source. Mm -hmm. Well, what if you could have a protein source from not just almonds, uh, and they got stuck on, on, again, one crop, and that's why we immediately, with the Elmhurst line, diversified Mm -hmm. and said, no, we're not just Depending on almonds, we can we can give you protein from walnuts, from oats, from hazelnuts, from uh, cashews, uh, from rice and from hemp. We can we can do it all. And that way it's your choice what you want to uh, what works for you. And and that gets into the nutrigenomic thing as well. Not everybody's body is the same. So you might have more of a need for omega-3s. Another person might be more in need of the, the beta-glucans and the fiber from the whole oat. Um, somebody else might, um, like me, I like the, the rice for the hypoallergenic portion of it, but also that's my go-to for if I'm definitely replacing milk and a bechamel sauce, that's what I use. So... Everybody's got something different that they're they're requiring, and with the Elmhurst line, you can pick and choose and put it there. You don't have to have just one gallon of milk. You can have four different uh, uh, types of milk, grains, nuts, or seeds to put in your refrigerator.
0: Right, right. That's actually that's something I tell a lot of people about why you, who people who think that veganism or you know cutting out dairy is is a strange thing to do. It's like, well, you you can have so much more if you, if you, if you open yourself up to this, this kind of, um, this, these products, you don't have well, to, uh, yeah. And you're, you're absolutely right on that. Um,
1: but my husband's a, a a prime example of this one. My daughter is vegan mm-hmm. and, uh, she, every time she comes the first thing out of his mouth is, Oh man, we're not going to be able to eat anything. <laughs> and I said, you haven't learned yet <laughs> that, there is so much that you are eating that is, um, vegan. Um, it, it would just, and, and it's so easy to use these products and, and I've made them. So when she, she comes and it's holidays, virtually other than if we do have the the turkey, everything else in the meal is vegan, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And, and you know, so, and he's, slowly has begun to realize the significance of the fact that, you know, and the more you eat these other type of foods that, um, in fact, our chef here made a macaroni and cheese and entered it into a, a contest um, and placed either second or third. The, the interesting thing of it, he didn't tell anybody that, vegan, that macaroni and cheese he did was vegan, Ralph. Wow. What
0: did he use in it in the cheese, do you know?
1: Uh he was using the Daya. Oh, okay. At that okay. Um, and uh we're still looking at we think we could even you know, with the the products that we're doing with the, you know, we could even make a, a more superior. So stay tuned on that one.
0: <laughs> I would love to see that because I'm not a big fan of Daya. I know it, it's it's a, a cheap and ubiquitous option, but it's not my favorite taste wise uh-huh. or texture. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, I think what added to the taste and flavor was uh, on the replacement of the, 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 the dairy milk with the milked uh, nuts, right. uh, the Elmer's nuts. And um, it really did add a very significant flavors. But that's, that's where um, even getting into the um, milked peanuts, by the way, for sustainability, mm-hmm. this, this is really critical. The, the peanuts are uh, one of our most nutritious crops. Uh, that we have, and it's uh, an annual crop. So this is very important that we really maximize the benefit. And the um, the protein shakes that were are out there now, and uh, the the peanut cream, and the uh, peanut milks, which really have all kinds of applications in, in cooking, and and making curries and sauces and and whatnot. That you would never have dreamed to, to be using the, uh, a peanut milk, but, uh, people are changing. And as I said, it'll take a little while, but this is after all, just, uh, an evolution. And, and, uh, even, and when I keep on trying to tell people that, you know, the bulk of us are flexitarian
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and even if you replace your cream that you put in your coffee with a plant-based cream because they are there's so many choices now, uh, especially with the Elmhurst products, the cashew milk, uh, or eventually the hemp cream or peanut cream. Uh, that's you know that you're on your way. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's funny, just one thing at a time, um, and then when you start tasting a a dip that uh, normally has a, a cheese but is actually now a a nut cheese and you're sitting there saying, you know, that's pretty doggone good. You know, this is a step and, and more and more recipes. My favorite recipe for Belgian waffles is, is totally vegan. Mm-hmm. What do you use in that? Uh, well, I'm using, I, I like using the oat milk in in that, but for the egg white, I use the aquafaba ah, that we yeah. developed.
0: Oh, you developed an aquafaba there?
1: Yeah. yeah. And so, oh, that's, that's a fabulous thing. And so we're getting ready to to launch that uh, as well. And we're very excited about that because it makes it easy. Whenever you want an egg whites, it's, it's gonna, you can just kind of keep it in your cupboard and you just open it up, pour it out and whip it up and you've got
0: egg whites. <laughs> um, and you've sort of touched on this, but um, I believe you're based in upstate New York. Crack, Correct. Correct. Um,
1: just outside of Buffalo, which, you know, basically being on the Niagara grid with energy and and uh, hydropower, th- 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 we couldn't get better. <laughs>
0: um, and there's also a lot of dairy farms up in upstate New sure. York. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I have whenever I have written about non-dairy products, I've gotten a bit of hate from from dairy farmers in in uh, upstate uh, and you know they are suffering economically there's there's no doubt about that um, and so you you have touched on this like you do see a way of for plant-based milks and for dairy milk to kind of coexist in in oh. one person's refrigerator um, but do you think that are dairy and alternative milks in competition?
1: Uh, Actually, I don't. I I see it as a necessary expansion. Mm -hmm. Um, um, I just gave a a talk yesterday in Syracuse uh, to the New York State Association for Food Protection. So there were a lot of dairy people there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and I always worry about, uh, here I am talking about plant-based foods, but I'm trying to educate them on the fact that these are nutritive. Mm-hmm. For years, people thought that by adding anything into dairy products um, that, oh, oh my gosh, you're, you're degrading the nutritive value of the dairy. Well, not anymore. Not with these uh, milked grains, nuts, and seeds. Uh, you're ac- actually expanding uh, the nutritive value. This is why, uh, and people don't even really think that way. Think about it. But when you add dairy milk to oatmeal,
0: mm-hmm.
1: OK, well, you've expanded the value of the dairy milk, It's which is more impo- important, the oat or the cereal, uh, the, the cereal or the uh, dairy milk. Well, you know, they're both equally important. And that's where we're going. So even in as we look at Beverages, and of course, we're a very grab and go uh, society, um, very busy, and people want convenience. But this is something that these um, milks, and that's what we're looking for, are doing ice creams that are not 100% dependent on just uh, dairy milk, that these can be a combination without diminishing the nutritional value that the consumer is getting. And in fact, what we're doing is expanding it.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so it's it's often difficult to kind of discuss plant-based foods. I know you're working from a, a scientific and technological and business perspective, um, but to talk about these foods and sustainability and food waste without Uh, Also using a political framework, Um, I don't know, do you believe your work in this field to be political in any way? Oh, um, for
1: some reason, anything you do these days seems to be political. (laughs) I I, I think only because it becomes political if, if people aren't willing to understand and put it in the correct framework or a, a, let's call it a larger framework. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead of looking at to where we are now, we have to look at where we're going. And uh, I I think we sometimes get too involved with uh, the situation that we're living in instead of thinking about, well, what is the future uh, we what what's what are the the realities? The reality is population is expanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, water is diminishing in many areas of the world, and um, and yet we have the ability to uh, stabilize foods, distribute foods uh, internationally. Some people that are have very good crops um, and yields should be able to distribute them. Um, the political comes in is, why aren't they being distributed? Why can't we equalize, better equalize the uh, distribution of our food and agricultural yields? Uh, I think that's the, the bigger question at the end of the day. Nothing should be wasted. Anything that can be grown, um, whether it's dairy or um An agricultural crop, uh, anything that can um, provide—it's a matter of processing it, getting it stabilized, and getting that that nutritional value distributed. Thank you so much, Dr. Mitchell. You know, you're very welcome, Alicia. And uh, thank you.